It's always good to start church with pirates. <laughs> pirates in church is a good thing. It causes us to remember all the reasons why we're not pirates. Um, but, of course, I chose that particular clip because it was a call to greatness. Here you have a bunch of men, and they're, they're not sure what they should do. They're not sure what comes next. They're not sure which direction they should go. They really need a, a class on Tuesday nights, Tuesday night solutions, doing what a woman tells you you should do. And so this, this, this woman, Miss Swan, there she is, she rises up and she, she tells them who they are. And she looks at them in their ordinary pirate-ness. And she says, we can be better than this. We can go beyond where we are right now. We can rise to something that's big and that's greater than ourselves. And in that call to greatness, she says, hoist the colors and everything shifts. Everything shifts. But there is a problem with life. The ordinariness of life surrounds us. Everywhere we look, it's kind of ordinary. We pick up our mail. We sort through the bills. We cut the grass. Well, some of us cut the grass. Uh, we, we buy pumpkins in October and turkeys in November and all kinds of things in December and watch football and worry about dog food. Well, some of us worry about dog food. Right now there's a debate in our home as to whether they'll eat lamb or chicken deli meals that you buy in a refrigerated case in the grocery store. This is what my life comes down to. Discussions about chicken or lamb refrigerated deli meals. The ordinariness of life surrounds us. We put gas in our cars. Well, some of us remember to put gas in our cars. I ran out of gas on First Colonial Road yesterday. Where were you? Where were you when I needed you? When my prayers went up from First Colony Road, where were you? It was traumatic for Bodine Wilson. I said, this is what happens when you can't figure out if you want lamb or chicken. My brain functionality declines and we end up running out of gas. At last cause, blame it on the dogs, right? After years of doing ordinary things, you even start to take on a very ordinary look. Even if you dress up and try to look beyond ordinary, you still look ordinary. People see ordinary. I stopped in a 7-Eleven last night after I did a wedding and I wanted a cup of Brazilian bold coffee because drinking Brazilian bold coffee makes me feel bold just for a few minutes, for a few moments, I escape the ordinary and I stand bold in front of 7-Eleven. As I walked into the store, there was a young woman at the counter and she remarked on how I was all dressed up. And I said, yes, I did a wedding. And she said, so what do you do besides catering? <laughs> and I just looked at her and said, I argue with dogs and I run out of gas. That's what I do. The ordinariness of life surrounds us and lulls us 
into believing we are ordinary. But we're not. We were created for greatness. We just don't understand what greatness looks like or feels like. So let me tell you a story today that I call the story of greatness in disguise. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Moses was in the middle of his ordinariness. He was a shepherd. He took care of sheep day after day, month after month, year after year. That's who he was. He looked ordinary. He talked about ordinary things. Everything around him was ordinary. The ordinariness of life surrounded him. And so in the middle of all that, he sees something that's a little different. He goes, in the middle of my ordinary life, there's something that's not so ordinary. I will go over and look upon this thing. You see, greatness at first looks quite ordinary because we're not looking deep enough yet. It's an ordinary bush, but it's not acting in an ordinary way. Let me go over and see what might be there. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now the bush is speaking. Now we're, we're starting to get way beyond ordinary really, really fast. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. If this was written in modern times, we might read something like, at this, Moses freaked out. At this, Moses wanted to dig a hole and crawl into it. At this, Moses was losing it. This was not what he had bargained for. His life was ordinary. He knew what to do when he got up in the morning. He knew the structure of the day. He knew that, that the ordinary just kind of took care of itself. He was surrounded by ordinary, and he lived in ordinariness. But you see, God shows up in the ordinary. He is the ordinary in disguise. And he challenges your perspective on what you thought was ordinary. See, right now, it's pretty ordinary. You're here in church and kind of looks ordinary. You've been here before, but take another look. God is the ordinary in disguise, and he challenges your perspective on what you think is just ordinary. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And God 
reminds Moses of something that happened a long time ago in his life, a place where, where he's almost forgotten about it by now, but he grew up there, and he lived there, and he knows what it's all about. He knows what it's all about to live in a palace. He knows what it's about to look outside and to see his people oppressed, to see that, that one day he went out and he did something that caused him to have to run away from that. And he's forgotten about that. His life is so ordinary. That's a long time ago. But God says, no, we haven't forgotten about that, Moses. I'm remembering that. And I am going to answer the dream that every person has in their heart. A dream for their needs to be met. A dream for them to have a home and a place where they can be at night. A warm bed and a place where they can sit around a table and take meals together. I'm going to answer the desires of the human hearts. And now this, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You are called to greatness because God won't let you stay ordinary forever. If you stay ordinary, you miss finding out who you really are. There's a time for ordinary. There's a time to, to go through each day growing and, and thinking and and doing the things that you usually do, accomplishing the tasks that must be accomplished. But if God just lets you do that for the entirety of your life, you miss finding out who you really are. Moses, do you want to miss finding out who you really are? Yes, it's been 40 years since you were there. And you've lived a very ordinary life for 40 years. But Moses, you weren't there for nothing. You didn't learn about leadership for nothing. I didn't put you there for nothing. I didn't pull you out of, a, out of a river for nothing and put you into a royal family for nothing. I have greater purposes and greater plans for you, far beyond what you can think. I'm going to take you from your ordinariness. I'm going to call you into something that is great. But Moses said to God, who am I? Why'd you, why'd you call me? Why'd you pick me? Who am I? I'm, I'm ordinary. I'm a shepherd guy now. That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I like ordinary. Ordinary works for me. And so often we find ourselves in that place with God. I like ordinary, God. Ordinary works for me. I understand ordinary I understand my job and I understand what I'm supposed to do. And, and it's, it's, I'm almost close to retirement now and I've got sort of things that are planned out and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, and, and things are, are kind of ordinary, but I can count on ordinary. I can control ordinary. And God says that's exactly the problem with ordinary. You got your hands all over it. You got it all tied down. You got it all tied up in a neat package with a bow. Yeah, you can control ordinary but then you will never understand who you really are. You'll never understand who I really am. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? When confronted with greatness, you will make excuses about why you can't attend the training program. I'm really busy at that time, God. And and what about tomorrow? Well, I'm really busy. Actually, I'm busy at that time, most of the day, 365 days a year. I'm kind of busy with being ordinary. 
can you kind of pass me by right now? Maybe you made a mistake and you didn't really want me. When confronted with greatness, we all somehow want to make excuses about why ordinary kind of works. And God said, I will be with you. You're not going alone, and you don't have to do this alone. I've never worked like that, you know. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, he already, he's got it all the way down to the, to the end result. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, Moses hasn't even decided to go yet. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, well, just suppose this happens. Suppose I go and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I don't even know your name. We haven't even been properly introduced. Do you have any kind of ID? Is there a letter? Is there a work order? Is there some official document here? Something that has a seal on it. You know, down here, when it's really important, there's always like a seal on something. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And you can imagine Moses in that moment thinking, I liked ordinary a lot better than this. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So God takes a little bit of pity on him and says, we're just going to tie into tie into a few historical markers that they should know and understand. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And all of a sudden you see that God in his calling us out of the ordinary is not just concerned for us and for our well-being and for us to not live and be stuck in the ordinary. He's concerned about the future. He wants he wants others to see in the future that there were people who decided to step out of their ordinariness. There were people who wanted to go beyond the ordinary. There were people who learned that, that the ordinary would not satisfy. It would not bring the kind of hope that needs to be birthed in the human heart so that the experience of life becomes real and passionate and good all the time. The call to greatness is always rooted in responding faithfully to the God who is faithful from generation to generation. And you begin to understand something about greatness. You can't manufacture greatness. You can't manufacture it. You can't make it up. It doesn't come out of a box. It is a gift. And that's the problem with the world. The world says we can manufacture greatness. We can somehow program it. We can put it all together and then it'll be great. And it's great for a moment. And then it kind of fades out and we will manufacture some more greatness. It'll be great for a little bit of time. And then it kind of fades out and you're, you're back to feeling kind of empty inside. The reality is that you can't manufacture greatness. You can only receive it as a gift from God. When God calls you out of the ordinary into what will be transformed by his faithfulness from generation to generation into greatness, now you are in the middle of the real action of what drives the universe. You think this is ordinary. You say, I've been here before. Take a look around. 
It's not ordinary at all. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. In those days, they didn't have zip codes. They just had ite codes. You had Perizzites, Hivites, Hittites, Canaanites, the ite codes. And it's going to be a place where your, your wildest dreams are going to be realized. He's given Moses the specifics now of what he is called to do out of the ordinariness of his life. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Why will they listen? Because people know that they're called to something more. And when they hear that they are called into something more out of their ordinariness, they will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. God even gives him the end of the story. You are going to go. You are going to walk out. I will make this happen for you. I'm just asking you, Moses, to step out of the ordinariness of your life into this gift of something great. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed, which is an answer to the question, what's the budget for this anyway, God? Is there a resource plan? How do I know what I get to spend for the... Do I need camping supplies? Where do I buy those? What do I buy them with? Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. They will give you the resources. You will have whatever it is that you need. You see, you need to know that God will never call you to greatness alone. The elders of Israel will listen to you. People want to step out of their ordinary lives. He will make happen whatever needs to happen for you to get the job done. You will have what you need to get the job done. It's right there. Greatness requires you to believe something that won't make sense. Did that make sense? Well, they're just going to give you their stuff. Just ask them. They're going to give you gold and all. Yeah, they're going to give it to you doesn't make sense. God will ask you to believe something that won't make sense until you look back from where God has taken you. And he already says, this is where I'm taking you. You see, here's the key. The entire process of greatness is based on one prerequisite human response. Humility. Humility knowing that there's no power inside of us that will enable us to step out of being ordinary. There's nothing that we can manufacture to be great. There's nothing that we can do to make things really happen the way they need to happen. But if we submit ourselves to God and his call upon us, things will happen. God will get it done. 
You look at the papers every day and the magazines and the blogs and the, the Twitters and, and everything that's out there. And you, you tell me that the world's got a handle on really getting things done and really manufacturing stuff that really lasts. It's falling apart. We just talk and talk and talk. And we talk some more. We have another meeting and we talk some more. And it just, it just is endless talking and endless haranguing and endless meetings. And, and, and by, by some amazing grace of the giftedness of, of human ingenuity, we kind of move down the field a little bit. You know, we get another iteration of the iPhone, and we go, ooh, this is really good. You know, we get, we get some little technological thing that, oh, that's great that we have that now. But our lives are still as messy as they have always been. The entire process of greatness is based on one prerequisite human response, humility, knowing that if God doesn't call us out of ordinariness into greatness, we are lost the ordinariness of life surrounds us and lulls us into believing we are ordinary, but we're not. We were created for greatness. We just don't understand what greatness looks like or feels like. Let me tell you what greatness requires. First, it requires seeing God in the ordinary. It looks ordinary right now. You're in church. It looks very ordinary. It's not. God is, is He is passionate about being in this time for us and with us. He's passionate about telling us where it is we're going and what it is he wants us to do. Greatness requires seeing the ordinary in a new way. Last week I talked about what if, what if, what if this happened, what if that happened, what if we tried this, what if we did that? What if we all pushed on this one thing together, what would happen? Seeing the ordinary in a new way. Seeing the long range impact of faithfulness is what greatness requires. So often we get caught up in a faith that says, oh God, I want this, this thing to happen for me. I need it to happen now. I needed it yesterday, but if it happens tomorrow, I'll be okay with that. And faithfulness is so much bigger. It's, it's generation to generation. And we see greatness when we see the long range impact of faithfulness as we know that our lives will be handed over to the next generation. And they need to see faithfulness in us so they will live it out for the generation that comes after them. Greatness requires being with others who want to experience the call of God with you. It's always better. Greatness is always better together. Together makes greatness worth living and doing and being. Together makes stepping out of the ordinary an adventure. Greatness requires suspending the need for life to make sense on your terms. And this is one of the biggest struggles that we have. We like it when life makes sense on our terms. We like it when we've got it all nailed down and mapped out and we've got the costs figured out and we know this is going to happen then. We've got that plan and we live in some kind of a, a, a mystical state of, of human confusion when we do that because it's only worth doing life the way God wants us to do it. And God says, you've got to trust me in some things. It might not make sense to you right now, but I will make sense out of it if you will go with me. Greatness requires suspending the need for life to make sense on your terms. And greatness requires embracing humility in every meeting or relationship. In every meeting or relationship. And the truth is, 
that you and all of us are in the throes of living this out all the time. Noah had to live this way. You take these principles and you can plug them into just about every story in the Bible, every life that was called out of being ordinary into what God was trying to do that was great. It all works this way. Noah had to live this way. Esther was called to this. Mary experienced this. Paul had to accept this biblical paradigm. And the truth is that we all do. The ordinary wages war in our minds. It bombards us with everyday tasks and boxes to check and things to clean up and demands to respond to in the hopes of keeping us from seeing that greatness is just a layer or two below the surface all the time. We know we need greatness. We know we can't survive without greatness. We know that greatness is what life is all about. We know it intuitively, but so often we settle for watching it happen for someone else, never believing. It is right there in front of us all the time. There are three questions our hearts always ask when it comes to issues of greatness, the call of greatness. What's it going to cost me? The answer to that is simple. It's going to cost you everything you have. Greatness always does, you know. The second question of your heart is, What are they going to think? And you can plug anybody into they. They, your parents. They, your spouse. They, your friends. The people that you work with. What are they going to think about me? I have an ordinary life. How do I explain greatness? And, And you're calling me to something? I remember being in my grandmother's apartment in New York. I'd only been a Christian for maybe a year or two, had long hair. I was wearing this crazy bow tie. Uh, I looked like some character out of a Woody Allen story, you know, crazy glasses, bell-bottom pants, you know, but I believe in Jesus. And my grandmother says to me, why do you have to do this? Why do you have to do this? Why? but I would not let questions like that keep me from listening to a call out of being ordinary into whatever it was that God wanted for my life. You're going to say, what's it going to cost me? It's going to cost you everything. Greatness always does, you know. What are they going to think? They're not going to understand. Whoever is they, they never understand. It's not your problem that they don't understand. And the third question of your heart is, will I be all alone? Will I end up being all alone? The answer is no. You'll never be all alone because there will always be people who want to step out of the ordinariness that surrounds them to do something great for God as they hear God call them to something. That's really the question. What will you die for? What shall we die for then? Tony Blair, in an article in Time Magazine on September the 13th, that was titled, A Call to Greatness, by the way, wrote this. But the real test of leadership, amongst all the tests of policy, judgment, politics, and ability, 
but the real test of leadership is whether in the final analysis you put the country first, that ultimately you are prepared to put what you perceive to be the common good of the nation before your own political self. It is the supreme test. And then you go back and you look at Philippians chapter 2 and you see something so big and so wonderful and so amazing. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, but emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what shall we die for? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who a long time ago spoke through a burning bush to an ordinary man, an ordinary shepherd, and said, we've got something to do together now. We've got something to do that's bigger than your ordinariness. Imagine a church that calls you to greatness. That's, that's where this church began 18 years ago. There was a, there was a meeting in a, a small banquet room in a, a small out-of-the-way hotel and, and I had read a story about Abraham Lincoln, and I shared that. If you were in A2 today, you got a copy of that. If you want a copy of that, you just can stop by at the, uh, the resource center, and somebody will, will give that to you. Um, but I asked the people who were beginning to come together, who felt that they were Spring Branch Community Church, I said, I, I have to call you to greatness. I have to call you to something that's different. Not a church that expects that everybody will show up and understand. Not a church that says, if you come and be like us, that'd be really good. We'll like you if you're like us and you'll like us because we're like you. Not a church like that. I ask you to lay those things aside. I ask you to find that in this concept of building bridges of hope from sacred history to a secular world, that we will find ourselves, we will step out of the ordinariness into something great that God wants to do. I still call you to that today. That call has expanded into these things, reaching out to people who want to know God. There are people that want to know God all over this town. They're just waiting for somebody to come along who makes some sense and building up people who want to grow in faith. Building up people who want to grow the faith that's, that's resident in their lives. They want it to be more. And you add being humble all along the way because humility is the prerequisite to be called out of ordinariness. And now you have a call to greatness that's not dependent upon us manufacturing something, but that is a gift that God has given to each and every one of us. You see, what makes the church real, what makes the church able to call you to greatness is the fact that God is real and heaven is a real place. 
And therefore, the call to greatness is real. It's not based on us, but on who he is and will always be. The ordinariness of life surrounds us and lulls us into believing we are ordinary, but we're not. We were created for greatness. We just don't understand what greatness looks like or feels like. So let me tell you, it looks like right now. It looks like this. It looks like here we are and we're gathered together and there's something big God wants us to do. We just have to decide if we're going to step into that call out of being ordinary into something that is a gift. And it feels like, it feels like humility. It feels like I can't do this. I don't have the strength to do this. I don't have the resources to do this. And God says, that's it. That's part of the gift too. I will give you the resources. I will give you the strength. It's whatever he asks us to do when he shows up in his most ordinary disguise. Jesus. What then shall we die for? I think it's worth dying for, stepping out of ordinariness into the call that God puts upon us for greatness. Dear Heavenly Father, Sometimes we just, we settle for the ordinary and we like the ordinary so much that, that we want to stay in it. It feels right and it feels safe. We know what, it, what it's going to be tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and next year even. And then you send uh, a burning bush and you send uh, an angel. Then you send messenger saying no we're we're going to do this and this is how it's going to happen and, and I'm sending you and suddenly our, our ordinariness is, is fast slipping away Father help us to be a church that allows ordinariness to slip away help us to be a church that recognizes you in your most ordinary disguise Jesus, calling us to have the same attitude that you had, that you gave up everything so that we could have everything. Father, let us live for you and with you and all those things. For we ask this in Jesus' name.